Well, we're glad that you're here. Uh, you're in a great place. Every week, you know, we're creating a place where you can encounter the reality and the presence of God. And uh, we're just excited about what the Lord is going to do. Hopefully, you've already had a, a glorious time in worship and just experienced the presence of God then. We're going to go into the word of the Lord. I'm believing that God's going to speak to you. I'm going to pray that God will open your ears, your heart, your mind to hear what the Lord is saying to you. As a preacher, a pastor, I know this. Everything that I say every week doesn't apply to everybody. But this is what I do know. Every week you sit under the word of God, the Lord says something to you. Something to you. And so I'm going to believe that God's going to do that today. Amen. Touch the person next to you if you would. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to gather. And just we just believe that you're going to certainly be speaking to us. Uh, through the word. I pray that I'm able to communicate the word uh, as you have given it to me. I, I do need you even while I'm speaking to yet be speaking to me, uh, to guide, guide my words, and the direction that I go with the message, but also Lord God speak through me. Let uh, the, the, the congregation here this morning have their, their ears in tune to you their mind, Lord God, ready to receive, and the heart, Lord, to be good fertile ground for the word of the Lord. Uh, so, Lord, we trust you to do that in something that's said uh, in the message that the Spirit of God will take that and make that personal and bring it right home to everyone that's sitting in this place. Lord, not only do we uh, believe you to work here, but we, we pray, Lord, for every church in our city, every church in this community, whatever, whoever man or woman that addresses that pulpit, I pray that they bring forth the word of the Lord. We want people throughout Yuma County to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that every church in this city, Lord, increases and grows with more and more people who are finding life in you. We pray particularly this morning for uh, uh, Pastor Noe and El Roca, that you would be a blessing to him, his family, and uh, his team that's serving uh, that's serving there. Father, we also pray for uh, our locations uh, for Pastor Rabonda in Guiani, South Africa, and Pastor Norman and Sean Deager, Pastor David in uh, San Luis, Mexico, and also Pastor uh, Jacob and his team, uh, Pastor Gatone in San Luis, Arizona. May they have increase every week, Lord God, as they build a team, uh, a firm foundation where we can uh, plant a very healthy, healthy campus there. So we thank you for being so good to us and uh, so kind, so gracious, and uh, may we glorify you in all that we do. May the people of God say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to go to the book of Micah. Micah is uh, right after Jonah. Uh, we done Jonah a few weeks ago and then done the uh, message out of Hosea last week. And today we're going to stay with the minor prophets and we're going to look at Micah. Now, Micah is uh, seven chapters and it's, this is not one of those ones that I thought that I would do multiple messages with like I uh, did with Jonah and, and still probably thinking I'm going to do with Malachi. But uh, I'm going to do my best to try to uh, bring out some of the key statements that Mike is saying that I think still applies to us today uh, out of the seven, seven chapters. So I trust that you'll just go along and follow along with me. And if you have your Bible, most of everything is going to be on the screen, but it's always good uh, to carry a Bible. Don't you think Christians ought to carry a Bible? And so, so just follow along with me if you, if you would. I'm just going to read the last two verses and then I'll, of chapter 7, 
uh, last three verses, sorry, and then I'll, we'll see where, how we work this in. Who is a God like you? This is Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who's a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you've sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Can you say amen? Now, one of the things about Micah that I think is important to note is that he um, was considered insignificant, uh, not just as a minor prophet, which that was part of it. uh, And as we've already noted, minor prophets are not minor prophets because they don't Uh, have a lot to say. As a matter of fact, they have to approach God like every other prophet. But uh, they're minor because uh, the messages that they gave might not have been in depth or as long as some of the major prophets whom we know to be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. But but, but uh, Micah also struggled with insignificance because he prophesied at a time when uh, three other prophets were more known and more noted. He prophesied at the same time as Jonah. He prophesied at the same time as Hosea. And he also prophesied at the same time as Isaiah. Isaiah is probably out of that group even, is the most known of all, and he certainly was the most noted prophet uh, at that time. It's, it's, most, it's the writings of Isaiah that we actually see the most in the New Testament. His book is one of the largest and uh, had some, some of the most things to say, known as the eagle Eye prophet, certainly had a great insight on who was coming in the Messiah and, uh, and wrote extensively about it. It's, it's Isaiah who gave us uh, chapter, uh, chapter 53 that talks about who this Messiah is that the Jewish people were looking for and who we have come to know as our Lord and Savior. It was, it was Isaiah who, who let us know that there would be a child would be born in Isaiah chapter 9, and that would be Christ the Savior. It was Isaiah that said that this child uh, would be born of a virgin. That was in chapter 7. It was in chapter 6 that we have the great story of Isaiah going into the temple. And, uh, and when he walked in, he was in awe with the presence of God, the holiness of God, and the angels are declaring, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. Those are the things about Isaiah that overshadowed what Micah had to say. And uh, it's interesting that Micah's only actually mentioned twice in the scriptures, once is obviously in his book, by his book, but the only other time Micah is mentioned is by Jeremiah, where he's mentioned by name, and it's actually 100 years after Micah had given the prophecy. The, the thing is that though Micah seemed insignificant to many, the things he spoke have great significance for us today, not just for us today uh, in the sense of what we're going to discuss and experience, but also even then. It was Jeremiah who said, that Micah's prophecy led to a great revival under Hezekiah. It was Jeremiah who said it. The funky thing about that was there was two things that, that Micah prophesied that Isaiah also repeated, and Isaiah was the one that was, was uh, once again stated in the New Testament as if he said it, which he did, but he didn't say it first. 
So, but we do have Jeremiah saying, listen, with all that's written by Isaiah and all that's said, here's what we need to know. It was the word of Micah that led to a prophecy, that led to a revival under King Hezekiah. It, 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 just, it just begs us to note uh, that oftentimes people that seem so insignificant oftentimes are the very people that are bringing forth the great fruit in the kingdom of God. We have come to know, and certainly as a church, we don't overlook anybody. We believe everyone is valuable. Everybody has a place in the kingdom of God. Everyone that belongs to him, no matter where they serve in the church, God is working through you. And he's able to work through you for whatever he wants to accomplish. What, what uh, defined uh, Micah was that very first verse that says, the word of the Lord came to Micah. Any of us that can hear from God, any of us that can hear the word of the Lord, any of us that have the ability to understand what God is saying that would be a blessing to us, blessing to our family, blessing to our community, and blessing to those that God uses you to speak to, let me tell you something, you can be the person that starts a personal revival in somebody's life. And so none of us are insignificant, can you say amen? Now, if you read the book of Micah, and I do suggest to you that if you have an opportunity just to sit down with the book and read the seven chapters. First of all, reading the Bible is good for you. Church, say amen. amen. Reading the Bible in big doses is good for you. Church, say Amen. So I'm going to ask you to read the book of Micah, chapter uh, it's seven chapters. It'll take you about 20 or 25 minutes. When you finish reading it and set it down, you're going to think you just read USA Today or New York Times. Because the things that he deal, dealt with then is the same things that we're dealing with and reading about now. Micah was so good about bring, talking about the political divide that was going on in his nation. Talked about the, 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 what was going on with the different various leaders. He even gives some indication, although we have three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial, he even talks about the branches of leadership among the people that was at odds and fighting and scrapping and one trying to take authority over the other and one stepping overstepping the bounds of where they should have authority. I mean, just like some of the same nonsense we see today, political division going on in the country. He also spoke a lot about injustices. Micah spoke about the poor and needy not being cared for. He talked about leaders that was abusing their position. He talked about oppression of people. Uh, he sp specifically spoke about uh, women and children and how they were being treated among the community. He, he spoke about things that, again, that we see today. He also, though, had a message about repentance. Chapter three is, is, is a lot of it where he talks about the woes. He gives the woes uh, to the people of God uh, because of the concern of them rebelling against God and turning from the Lord. And he let them know, though, that they could turn back to God. Micah spent time letting the people know through his writings that they were really getting overwhelmed by the things of the world and the society that they was living in and that they were allowing those things to affect how they thought and how they behaved and how they responded. And the decisions that they were making was based on the things that was seemingly affecting them culturally. And, and instead of walking in alignment with God, they were walking in a manner that they thought was right. 
Uh, Mike is good about it, and we will probably talk a, a little bit about it later on in the message. Micah was one that did seem to indicate that even when the people were doing wrong and they should have known that they were doing wrong, they weren't always conscious of the wrong that they were doing because they had gotten so cultured by what they were living in the system. But this is what he does. So, so what he does is he points us to things that we should embrace. If we're living in the society that Micah was living in, and if I could say this, if we're living in the country that we're living in now, and nothing against the country but society, the world, the culture, if we're living and, and, and there's, there's a, a manner of recognizing that there was a need to get back on track, Micah gives us where to go, who to look to, and what we're to do to get back on track. And let me just start with this. The first thing that Micah tells us, for us as a people to really know how life should be, to really understand how we should live, to really understand what it is that God wants for our life, Micah tells us the place to go for that is the house of the Lord. Micah tells us that we as a people of God, if we want to know what God is saying and how God wants to direct our life, then we should be in the house where the spirit of the Lord is. Am I talking to the right church? He tells us that we should be a people that are in the house of God. Listen to this. This is Micah 4 verses 1 and 2. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the, the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. Listen to what Mike is saying. He's saying, listen, there, there, is, there is a place where, where the people of God can come to gather and it can be a refuge, a refuge from the things of this life, a refuge from this world. I understand now that these, there's these things called escape rooms where people try to find a way to escape out of these rooms. I've uh, never um, uh, been in one, but, but I'm gonna tell you something. There are moments and times in my life where I do wanna escape from the things that are around me, but there's no better place for me to get to than the house of God, to come to a place where I know Christ is being glorified, where the worship is lifting up the one and only king, where, the, where what's being taught is things that help me for my life. It's in the word, it's in the house of God that we learn what, how, to, how to live through our marriage because of the teachings from the scripture. It's in the house of God where I understand why, why God has created me and the purpose that he's given me. It's in the house of God that I learn to know God and to find freedom and to discover my purpose and to make a difference. It's in the house of God where I learn from the creator who created me. There's no better person for me to learn from if I want to know what to do with my life. Every man here, I think, has tried to impress their children by trying to put something together without the directions. And we know what that does and it looks like. Even when the children say, but daddy, there's parts laying there. Or daddy, there's screws still laying there. Don't worry, don't worry. It'll still work. Just, just go ride the bike. You know, all of us have tried, and some of us are trying to do that with our life. 
Some of us are trying to live this thing without reading the directions, without reading the instructions, and, and we're just falling apart. Pieces are falling off. We got screws laid here. We got bolts laid there, and yet we're still going on with our life as pieces of our life are just falling away. What do we need to do? Go back to the instructions on how to live this life, and it comes from the man of God. It comes from the word of the Lord. And so he says, in the house of God is where we learn these things. It's a place where people come together of all cultures and all people groups. I love Pastor CTC, of course, for a lot of reasons. But I had the joy again while we were in Texas of sharing with people when they asked me, what is the most the thing that you enjoy about the, your, your church? When I can look out in the congregation and I can see people of all cultures and all backgrounds, uh, of all different skin colors, sitting together, lifting their hands together, worshiping together, holding hands together, hugging one another, magnifying the name of God. I'm telling you, this is what the house of God is supposed to look like. People from all nations, from all cultures, from all backgrounds ought to come and stream in and lift up our hands and magnify the Lord. Can you say amen? Now, I know a few weeks ago when my pastor was here, he used this passage, and, uh, and since he didn't do it right, I'm going to do it better, but no, just kidding, and Dave won't hear that tape. Uh, but Psalm 73 said, don't, don't, put, it, put the phone down and walk away, but, uh, but uh, Psalm 73 is a good passage to, to reflect this. I'm going to read it out of another translation. Some of you, again, heard a good message from this a few weeks ago, but I want you to hear this. It says, no doubt about it. God is good. This is Asaph writing, who's a songwriter, and he's a psalmist, but he's talking about an experience that he had. No doubt about it. God is good, good to good people, good to the good-hearted, but I nearly missed it, misseen his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have made it and who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world. They're full of hot air loud mouths disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. They haven't made, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I had given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed the dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw the whole picture. And I love the passion when it says that last verse. But the one, the, the one day I was brought into the sanctuary of God and in the light of glory, my distorted perspective vanished. I love it. Listen to what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm going along in life and I see a whole lot of other people doing a whole lot better than me. I see people who don't even care about God, seem to be prospering, seem to be well. They don't seem to have a care in the world. And I'm concerned about life. I'm concerned about my family. I'm concerned about doing right. And where is it getting me? It doesn't seem like it's getting me anywhere. As a matter of fact, the more I try to do good, the worse it gets. Every, anybody ever been there besides me? It just seemed like the more you pressed in, it seemed like the more that came against you. And he said, I just don't get it. Does God care? Is, is, this, is nobody tending the store? Is, is, can anybody just be willy-nilly and do whatever they wanted to do? Is all of this hogwash? But then he said, when I walked into the sanctuary, 
and came before the face of the almighty God, my perspective got in alignment. Everything came into order. It's nothing like being in the house of God to know what God is saying about your life. Can you say amen to that? You know, in the old church, we used to sing a song about going to the house of the Lord. It's Psalm 122.1. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And somebody may say, well, you're a pastor. Of course, you're going to say that to people. But I got to tell you the truth. It's been all of my life. I've always loved going to the house of God. I didn't always go to church for the right reasons. I'll be honest. Sometimes I would go to church because my grandparents made me. Sometimes I would go to church because I knew it was going to be one of those nights where people was going to get up and testify and then the music was going to get high and folks was going to run around and jump around the building and I wanted to learn how to mock that. It was, it was times when I would, I, would just, I would just go because there was a, a promise at the end that if I go to church tonight, I'm gonna, this is going to take place. But I'm going to tell you something. There's never been a time when I went before the, went in the house of God with the right heart that I didn't hear from heaven, that God didn't speak and say something about my life. It's an important thing to do. It's an important thing to do. Now, I want to share this, and I, unfortunately, I got the statistic wrong in the first service, but, but here is, here is the, the stats on going to the house of God. If children are the ones that want to go to church first, children are youth are the ones who want to go to church, whether they experience an Awana or their VBS or a city youth and their parents didn't go to church. But if those children uh, wanted to go to church and carved away, 7% seven of the families will follow the children, 7%. Now, I wanna thank God for every children's worker. I wanna thank God for every youth worker. I wanna thank God for every person committed to caring for somebody else's child while the family comes along in faith, 7%. Now watch this, watch this. If the mom is the one that begins to go to church, the mom initiates it, 20% of families will follow the mom. I was raised in a church where if there was 50 of us there, 38 of them was women, 12%, 12 of them was men. Thank God in CTC, we've kind of broke that barrier where, where we have almost just as many men as we do women, and thank God for it. But, but 20%, 20% will follow the mom. Hear this. If the father in the home goes to church, 90% of families follow the father. 90% follow the father. Listen, daddies. Listen, fathers. Listen, men. You want to teach your children what's right, get them to the house of God. You want to be a good example to them, get them to the house of God. Learn what God is saying for your life and watch your family follow suit. Can you say amen to that? 90%. So listen, we need to be on that. Why? Because the house of God is a place where we learn from the almighty God. Amen? Here's a, so he said that. He said, this is where you need to go. You, you, you see what's going on in our land. You see the chaos. So where do you need to go? You need to go to the house of God. And then the second thing he says is in chapter five is who do you need to look to? Because mind you, they're in a culture and uh, in, in a society where there's all kind of political division, just like we're having all kinds of stuff going on on the, on the arena. And I, I'm sure you're just like me. I think it's important to vote. As, as Christians, I think it's a duty for us to vote. And we always try to vote for people that at least have the same principles and values for us. But I got to tell you, I'm sick of elections. I'm sick of elections. I'm looking for the day where there ain't no more elections, where I'm standing before the almighty God and I ain't got to cast my vote. 
I'm just standing in the presence of the almighty God. But here's what he says. But, But even in this, even in the midst of a political turmoil, he said there's still one you can look to. And that's the real ruler, Christ Jesus. Here it is in Micah chapter five, verse two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from ancient days and everlasting. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty and the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. 750 years before Jesus was born, Micah not only prophesied about the birth of Jesus, but he even said where he would be born, that he would be born in Bethlehem. People oftentimes wonder, you know, why I believe the Bible. Because some of these prophecies are things you cannot make up. You cannot make up. I'm here to tell you, I ain't going to take no chance on telling you something that's going to happen 750 years away. I ain't taking no chance on it. I don't want to even tell you something that's going to happen 75 days away. Matter of fact, if you catch me on a bad moment, I ain't going to tell you what's going to happen in seven minutes. No less prophesy about 750 years. But, 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 but he says, listen, there's going to be a ruler. He's going to be born in a very small place, a place of insignificance, just like me, Mike is saying, in a place of Bethlehem. But he is the one that we're to look to. He's the one that's going to bring peace, not just to the nation, but to all mankind. He's the one that's going to be the true ruler. He's going to be the shepherd. He's the one that's going to care about us. He's the one that's going to love us. He's the one that's going to give us an eternal hope. He's the one that's going to redeem us, the one that's going to save us, the one that brings us into eternal life. Yes, while we're here on earth, we got kings and we got presidents and we got prime ministers ministers, and we got different rulers. But he says, don't get it twisted. You do what you got to do here on earth but you look to the true ruler who's the Lord Jesus Christ he's the one that we want to follow and he's the one that we want to hear from can you say amen he said he's going to shepherd the flock he's going to be one who stands forever which was so different than what we see even today uh, there's been 23 uh, noted dynasties that's taken place over our time of history up until now. Every one of them have come and fall, whether it be Babylonian, whether it be uh, Chaldean, whether it be Medan, whether it be Persian, whether it be Greece, whether it be uh, Russia, whether it be China, Japan. You can even talk about the U.S. Not one of those will stand. The only one that will stand forever and ever is the one that's led by the true king the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great to be in America or whatever country you're from. I love my country, but I'm telling you, I'm more grateful that I'm in the kingdom of God because when whatever country I'm in comes to an end, whatever nation I'm in comes to an end, whatever society or or dynasty that I'm in comes to an end, the one that I'm in right now, the kingdom of God, will last forever. Can you say amen? And so he says, you got to look to the true ruler. You got to look to the Messiah here in Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. It says this, for, t- for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be up on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. People will keep coming in. His government will get larger and larger because the kingdom of God will get bigger and bigger and there will never be an end to the peace that he brings to those in the kingdom. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. All things will be made right in Christ Jesus from that time on forever. That's our king. That's our ruler. That's who we look to. Where do we go? The house of God. Who do we look to? Christ Jesus, the true ruler. So Micah spends five chapters telling them that, letting them know where they can go because of the situation that they're living in and who they look to. Then in chapter six, the Lord speaks. Micah is writing, but the Lord starts talking. And basically what he does in chapter six is it's, it's almost like a courtroom scene. It's almost like the Lord is bringing the nation of Israel into court because basically the Lord is believing like Micah's believing. Like since we know how God has been to us, since we know where to go to learn from him, since we know there's a ruler who's coming, who's the great ruler that we should look to, basically he's saying, then it ought to be a no-brainer to give yourself to God to worship him, to serve him. It ought to be a no-brainer. But for some reason or another, the nation of Israel, the people that he's writing to, with all that they knew and all that they heard, they still wanted to live out of alignment. They still wanted to do their own thing. They still wanted to live in rebellion. They still wanted to make their own choices. So God comes in chapter six, and he says to them, listen, what is it that I need to do? Why are you people acting like I'm causing you a burden? Can you imagine God coming and say, Tyrone, why, why am I bothering you? Why am I causing you to be weary? Why is it that you, instead of wanting to follow me, you just want to keep complaining against me? That's what he's doing. So, so he brings them in the courtroom, if you can picture that, and he lays those questions on, on them. But then he says, but before you answer, let me just remind you of a few things. Let me remind you of a few things that I've done. And, and this will be on the screen. It's Micah 6, verses 4 and 5. He says, for I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. He brings this to him. Three incidents that he knows everyone in the community would remember these incidents because they're some of the most well-known incidents in the community. So he says, let me just remind you. And, and, and he says now, uh, reminds them of course, that they were the, the people that had come out of Israel. He says, you, don't you remember, I'm the one that brought you out of a place of slavery, brought you out of Egypt when you were down under suppression for 400 years in a place of pain, in a place of anguish, in a place of suffering. As a matter of fact, it's Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, that says the Lord heard their groanings, so he sent Moses to deliver them. He says, don't you remember that I'm the one that brought you out of that situation? 
You would have still been in slavery. You would have still been in bondage. You would have still been under the, 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 the servitude of another country. But I'm the one that brought you out. But then, but then he uses a second uh, illustration there. He says, do you remember that I'm the one when Balak, and, and, and just to remind you of this, it's in Numbers chapter 22 through chapter 24. The children of Israel are on their way to the promised land. Matter of fact, they're getting really, really close uh, in Numbers 22. And a king by the name of Balak is in Moab. He sees the children of Israel coming by the milk. Well, I, I want to say 1.5, 1.6 million. They're coming through the land. Everywhere they've went, they've had nothing but victory and success on their way to the promised land. Well, the king of Moab did not let them come through when they were going through the first time. So now this time the Lord says, you're just going to go right on through them. So he, he can see the children of Israel coming. He calls a man by the name of Balaam, who is a man who can pronounce blessings and a man that can pronounce cursings. He's also a Jewish man who's actually of the household of faith, but he had the authority to do so. He says, listen, these folks are coming, man, and I, listen, I'm afraid of them. They'll come right through here and they'll wipe us out. And I know that God has sent them to come back because I didn't let them travel through my land last time. They're coming. So he says, I, I, I need you to come and I need you to curse them because if they come through right now, they're going to clean us out. I need you to curse them. So, so Balaam is a man of God who's not supposed to go and curse his own people. But what does Balaam do? Balaam said, listen, I'll pay you, man. I'll pay you good. Whatever else that other king is paying you, I'll top that. I just need you to come and curse these folks. And, and if, if, if you ever heard anybody talk about a, a man being talked to by a donkey, it's Balaam, if you want to go back and read that story. And, and listen, I, I just, I just got to let you know, if you ever get in a situation where a donkey is talking to you, you in big, big <laughs> trouble. If a donkey has to tell you, what are you doing? You know, then you, you, you got a problem. So Balaam decides, I'm going to take the money and I'm going to go. Had the donkey incident. He still goes. He gets there to the mountain. Balak says, come up here to this mountain. You see them all out there? Now go for it, man. Go ahead and curse them. Balaam has said, no problem. Balaam steps up on the mountain. He looks over the children of Israel. He opens his mouth, and what comes out? Blessings. Balak said, whoa, 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 whoa. I paid you to curse them. Maybe it's the mountain. Let's run over here to this mountain. Maybe it's that place. Stand over. You see him out there? Yeah, those are the ones. Now, I paid you to curse him. No problem, no problem, man. It was, it was a bad spot. This time I'll get it. So he stands up there. He looks out over the children of Israel. He opens his mouth, and what comes out? Blessings. Balak, I can see him now. What is wrong with you? I paid you. I paid you. Come on over here. Must be the mountain. More money? You need more money? Here you go. Come over here to this mountain. Balaam said, don't worry, man. It's just a bad day. I had a little incident with a donkey. I'm all right. I'm working through it. I'm getting my mind right. I, I, I'm ready now. I'm ready. Just tell me the next place. Right here. I want you to do it right here. I got it. I see him. I see him. Oh, boy, it's a bad day for you, Israelites. It's a bad day. And Balaam opens his mouth. And what comes out? Blessings. Four times. He couldn't curse them. Why? Because here's the lesson God is saying. Do you know this, that the reason that you're blessed is because I blessed you and the reason nobody can curse you is because nobody can reverse my blessing? He said, you need to remember that. It's me that's blessed you. And then he tells them one more incident. One more incident. And it's also when the children of Israel were heading to the promised land. They had already gotten out of Egypt. And they were heading 
to Jericho. Chapter two, they had already gotten word that they were gonna, Jericho, the walls was gonna come down. So in chapter three, though, they get the message in chapter two, spied out the land, they're getting ready to go. Chapter three, though, they're on their way to Jericho and they run into the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is overflowing. It's a deep river, it's a wide river, and it's overflowing. And the children of Israel are right there up against the Jordan River. And they gotta go over the Jordan River and they know they can't go across just walking or pulling 1.6 million people. So the Lord says, I wanna show you something. Now, people will think, well, this shouldn't be a big deal because they've already went through the Red Sea, right? So why are they concerned about going through the Jordan River? Well, don't forget, out of these 1.6 million people or so that are on their way to the promised land, there's only two of them that's, that's still alive from when they went through the Red Sea. Caleb and Joshua are the only two still alive. So the group that they're pulling have never seen God open up waters for them to walk on. So they, sure enough, they come up to the Jordan River, Joshua and Caleb saying, no worries, we got this, watch what God will do. Priest, you hit the water, you carry the stones, as soon as your feet hit the water, boom, Jordan River opens up and everybody goes across on dry ground. The Lord saying, do you remember me doing that? Those three incidents. And you say, I'm a bother to you? You say, I'm wearying you? You saying I'm a problem and I'm the one that's done these things and yet you still won't turn to me. Well, the people decide, okay, since we're in the courtroom, we're going to talk back. That's what people do when they're in the courtroom, right? We're going to talk back. And listen to what they say in verse 6 and 7 of Micah 6. What can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offering should we give him? Should we bow before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of, of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Now, on the surface, when you read that, you think, okay, that's not bad questions. But no, no, no. If you understand what they're saying, it's bad. As a matter of fact, what they're doing is smart-mouthing to God. That's what they're doing. They said, okay, 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 okay. Oh, big bad God, you've done all these things for us. So what do you want us to do? Bring you all the olive oil in the land? You want us to just to bring a whole bunch of sacrifices to you? Is that what you want? Do you want us just to keep bowing down before you because you've done all these things? As a matter of fact, do you want us just to sacrifice our children? Now we know we don't want them to sacrifice the children. They just being smart mouth. The Lord had already told them, you don't sacrifice people unto me. They just being smart mouths. But God being God, he said, just shut up. Just shut up. I I've already told you what I want. All I want you to do is to do right, to love mercy and walk humbly with me. Are you catching that? I want you to hear this because, because when we think like, the, like those folks did, when we think that God is not doing the things for us that we think he ought to do or things ain't working out and life ain't working out and we get ourselves off track, listen to what the Lord is saying. You're not going to get yourself back on track by trying to please me with stuff that doesn't matter. All I want you to do is to trust me. Let me love you, and I'll show you that I'm faithful to you. It's that simple. 
That's all the Lord is asking for us. Trust him. Let him love us and he'll prove to us how faithful he is. Am I talking to the right church? And so I'm going to wrap this up with the way that Micah did because he, he answers the question on why is it that simple? Why is it it's as simple as being in the house of God? Why is it as simple as seeing Christ as our true ruler? Why is it simple as just trusting him and walking in relationship with him? Why is it that simple? Because he says it in chapter 7, verse 18, the one we read, because there is no God like this God. There is no God like this God. Any other religion, any other God, you got to do all kinds of things to work for your salvation or earn your faith or earn the right to be blessed or earn the right to, to have some kind, of, some kind of life beyond what you're living. You got to do all of that to, to, to be in right relationship with him, but not this God. What's interesting about this, Micah writes in chapter 7, verse 18, who is like our God? which is a play on his name because the name Micah means who is like Yahweh, who is like God. And why does Micah say this God is so great? Hear this. He can go back and point to those things we just talked about, a God being a God of deliverance, a God being a God of healing, a God of being one who works, who, who helps you out of some very tough situations and all those things he does. But he says, who is like this God and how does he define how our God is? He says, who is like a God that pardons all of our sins? Who is like a God that forgives us for everything that we've done against him? Who is like a God that even when we walk out of alignment, he makes everything right? Who is like a God with all of the sins that we've done, he just cast them in the sea of forgetfulness? Who is like the God that with all of our rebellion and all of our stuff. He just smashes our sins down never to bring them up again. Who is like a God that's not concerned about what you've done, not concerned about your past, not concerned about the rebellion you've done. He's just a God that says, I am going to love you for all eternity. Who is like that God? There's nobody like our God. He's the only one that leads you to green pastures. He's the only one that leads you to steel waters. He's the only one that restores your soul. He's the only God that feeds you in the presence of enemies that anoints your head with oil that you may walk in wholeness. He's the only God that promised goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Who is like our God? There's none like him. Now listen, there's so much more that can be said about what Micah said about God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness. But, but he left it in the same position that I need to leave it with you. Micah can say all that. I can say all that. But it's up to you to believe it. It's up to you to respond to it. I'm telling you right now. And there's hundreds of people in here, hundreds of people in first service that'll tell you, there ain't no God like our God. But you got to believe it. And I'm telling you, if you're just a little bit skeptical, if you're just, just a little unsure, can I just ask you to do this? Take one step of faith. Just one. Just one step of faith. Because here's, here's what our God says. God is looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Just take one step of faith. 
and see if our God won't meet you right where you are. Wash you up, clean you up, get you in track, put you in some places where you can learn, where you can grow, where you can understand what life is all about, help you with your family, help you with your marriage, help you with your finances, help you being a man and the woman and the child and the teenager that God wants you to be. Just take one step of faith and watch our God meet you right there at that place where you trust him. Everybody stand if you would. Prayer team, you can come. We're gonna go, I'm gonna, we're gonna go into a song of worship after I pray. There's two things that I just wanna pray about, ask you specifically. But there will also be people here that will be able to pray with you even further than that, but besides the two things that I'm gonna bring to your attention. And they'll, they'll be here to pray with you if you want healing. Uh, if, you, if you've made a commitment to Christ and you want to be baptized, you can let them know. You can also make that indication uh, in the breezeway in one of the connect tables if you need to be baptized. And if you have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, baptism is, is the next step. And so let's, let's uh, commit that to Jesus. But also, maybe you want somebody to join with you to pray about a decision or maybe there's something going on in your life where you just, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, he's in the midst. And it also talks about the power of agreement when two or three uh, agree together. So prayer is, an, is a, something we want to offer to you if you have that need. But I, I, want, I want you, if you would, just for a moment to uh, just to bow your heads and just, just close your eyes for just a moment. I, I, I want to speak to two groups for, for, for just a bit. You, you know, you might be one of those ones that I spoke about that uh, you, you haven't really trusted the Lord. You've done some things in life and maybe some things have been good, but, but you, are, you, you are kind of like the folks we talked about that uh, you're, you're out of alignment, things aren't, aren't going the way that they should. And uh, you just, you really don't have a handle on life. You believe you did or you thought you did at one time, but you really don't. And you know that you need to trust the Lord. God is better for your life than you are by yourself. God is able to give you wisdom that you can't come up with. God's able to give you guidance that you just, you wouldn't be able to get outside of him and his word. And, and you're at a place where you're really ready to lay the life down that you've been trying to carry on your own and you want to trust the Lord for it. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If you, if you want to say, you know, today, I, I, I want to begin to trust God for my life. Will you just raise your hand? I'll pray for you right where you are. God bless you, young lady in the back there. God bless you, young lady in the back. Bless you. God bless you, young man. God bless you. Father, I want to thank you for these that have raised their hands and said, hey, today, I just want to trust God for my life. I don't know, Lord, where, where their journey has been or where it has not been. But today they're saying, I want to trust you for my life. So I'm believing as they make that step of faith, you're going to meet them right there and show them that you're a God of promises, a God that's able to help them, guide them, put people in their life that will help them, Lord God, grow and be accountable to trust in the Lord God Almighty. If you don't mind keeping your eyes closed for just one more moment, if, if you're here and you you do know the Lord, you have a relationship with him, I should say, and um, all the things I said about Christ being a ruler and, and being a good God, you know all that, but you also know I, I, I'm, I'm not living my life in alignment with him. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just really, I've allowed myself to get out of step and to get out of whack, and um, I know who he is, and I want to begin to begin a life with him being very present, being the Lord of my life. 
If, if you want to just come on back home to Jesus, you want to restart, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. He loves you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, young man. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the many that have just said, listen, I just, I just want to restart. I just, I just want to get this right. Uh, I, I, I need to trust you. Uh, I, I can't do it on my own. I need you to do it. But I'm telling you by the raising of my hand that I'm saying today, I want to let you be who you are. You are God of goodness. You are God of mercy. You are God of love. And I'm trusting you to do your thing as I submit to it in Jesus' name.